In the moonlit embrace of rural Victoria, the decadent town of Buckley beats with a hidden heartbeat, the sanctuary of free-willed kindred. An anarch haven since the gold rush, Buckley's shadows hold secrets, its nights untamed. Yet the looming spectre of the Camarilla now threatens the delicate balance. As long-forgotten feuds simmer, a group of neonates bound by loyalty and survival find themselves at the epicentre of a power struggle. The Camarilla's tendrils tighten and Buckley teeters on the brink of open war. Welcome to the Dance of Shadows in Buckley, where the Anarch flame flickers against the encroaching night, a tale of defiance, politics, and the seductive allure of eternal power. This is Creatures Such As We. A Vampire the Masquerade 5th Edition Actual Play Podcast, presented by DM Fiat. I am your storyteller, Dale, or DG, and tonight I shall be your guide through this hidden and treacherous world of darkness. Welcome back, everyone, to Vampire, the creatures such as we. Last session... You awoke, awoke from the day sleep, and learned that what you'd experienced was not, in fact, some terrible nightmare, but instead your new, terrifying reality. You scrambled to gather some more leads, pointing you in the direction of your wayward sires. Robert, Barry, and Gil headed to Buckley's wastewater treatment facility and managed to get a vague idea of the Nosferatu which gave Robert their blood. Fuzzy red fur, bat-like leathery wings and claws. The fur that was left behind, the viscera at the scene, brought to mind the image a giant flying fox. But that's not what is the highlight of this night. That would be the rant. The meeting with Baron Wilde and the Anarchs of Buckley. The meeting where you finally get to meet the other monsters of the city and find out where exactly you fit into the hierarchy. You've ridden the elevator up to the secretive penthouse lounge of the Gold Rush Casino. And as you step out, the rant is already in full swing. The VIP lounge has a dozen clients, served by staff and attendants. The majority of the customers here 
are vampires like you, Kindred. They flit about, conversing, playing cards, spinning a lone roulette wheel, a pair on chase lounges are drinking simultaneously from a mortal woman stretched across their laps. And at the very back of the room, comfortably lazing in a tall wooden throne upholstered with plush red, is who could only be Baron Wild. I'm going to place a picture of him in our bear rodeo. Bear with me, I'll just grab the link so you can see what the Baron looks like. This imposing figure who has his eyes on you the moment you step into the rant. He's a tall, solidly built man with shoulder-length black hair. He's clad in an immaculate white suit and long red tie neatly folded underneath his collar. His eyes gleam deep yellow like a serpent. And as he silently takes in your faces, your bodies, your clothing, you see his thin lips twist into a half-amused smile. The other half of his face is emotions hidden from you, whether they be curiosity, trepidation, or gazing once more into those gleaming yellow serpent-like eyes. Malice. Come! Come! Newcomers, he says, waving at you, beckoning for you to cross the casino floor and stand before him. All are welcome here. All the fangs of Buckley. Make yourselves at home and... Uh, you're among friends here. No need to feel scared. Just let your hair down and let us all get a good look at you. Wisteria will step forward, do an ironic little curtsy, and retur return the smile in kind. Thank you for your kind welcome. Zarya? Barry? I was just kind of giving him a puzzled look. <laughs> puzzled look, standing there, not venturing away from her friends, and He's going to mostly follow Wisteria's lead. Barry, as you look upon this man, I'd like you to go ahead and roll me an intelligence streetwise check. Because, Barry, this place you're in, it's clearly off license. You've heard, you've known for years about the secret VIP lounge in the Gold Rush Hotel. It's sort of a... Ah, no worries, take your time. <laughs> it's sort of a holy grail 
of the Buckley Police Department. But someone will one day find a way into this inner sanctum. This inner sanctum where so many shady dealings are conducted. Where those who really run the town congregate. The only thing is, Barry, nor anyone else working at the Buckley Police Station had any idea of the true nature of those pulling the strings. As you bow, Wisteria, you can't help but notice that instantly you seem to have the eyes of everyone in the room watching your every movement. There's silence, immediate, all-encompassing silence, broken only by the clack, 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 clack of the roulette wheel slowly coming to a stop. As you gaze around the room, I'd like you, and Zarya if she would like to as well, to go ahead and make me charisma etiquette rolls. I believe I'm going to risk getting a bit hungrier and boost this. And I believe I will get a bit hungrier. Hopefully it's worth it. That's not a good roll for, for her. Well, two, well, two only... <laughs> dice roll is consistent with two successes. Two successes? Azaria, you're, you're staying close to Wisteria, aren't you? You're not making any moves to the Baron or anyone else in the room. You're trying to play it cool and let Wisteria... No, no not yet. I mean, she very much knows this is not uh, not her scene. <laughs> so I'll, mildly. I'll let you take Wisteria's two successes to count for you as well, if you'd like. That'll work. I'm not going to get better than that on a roll. Yeah. So, Wisteria... With two successes, you come to the end of your curtsy, your face nearly touching the red carpet, and you linger there for just a moment, still feeling the gaze of all these vampires watching, even the mortals in the room, even the languishing blood dolls seem to have their attention locked on you, as if curious to see what will happen next. The moment seems to stretch on for eternity until finally a woman with long blonde hair in a figure hugging purple cocktail dress standing at the Baron's left hand nods. She gives you a smile that's somewhere between calm and encouraging and amused, condescending, and beckons with her finger for you to rise. Do you, Wisteria? Wisteria slides up. Evenly. Well, it's a long-practiced one. Yeah. Very gracious hospitality. 
I must admit, I'm more rather surprised that you are uh, that we exist, but I'm getting through that. The Baron flashes you a great beaming smile. The blonde-haired woman places the palms of her hands together, folds her fingers through each other, and then leans forward, her eyes sparkling, and she says, Well, it's a good sign that you at least know not to dispense with pleasantries. You know, so many young ones these days just don't bother respecting their elders. And I understand we're all anarchs. We all have a voice here. She casts her gaze over the room. But, well... If, we're, if it were not for politeness, if it were not for manners and protocol, what would make us any different from the Sabbat? She's met with murmurs of agreement in the room, and instantly you feel slightly more comfortable with Styria and Zarya. The eyes of the other vampires are still on you, but less scrutinising now, and it's starting to feel as if as if, at the very least, you've made a decent first impression. Barry, I'd like you to go ahead and make me an intelligence streetwise check, if you please. Um... Ooh, that's a... It's a six, but it's a messy crit. Messy crit. Mmm. Would you like to spend a willpower to suppress the messy crit, or would you just like to roll with it? Uh, ooh. I think I might suppress it. Uh, Barry knows that this is a important. Um, mm. You hang back at the. Dilute. Yeah, you don't want to. Don't want to end up with any egg on your face. So, Barry, you hang back at the entrance to the parlor, hanging back just, just beyond the threshold that leads to the hallway and the elevator out back. And as Wisteria takes her grand bow, as she ingratiates herself to the room, you quietly examine the faces of those in attendance. It's clear to you that several of the people in this room are involved in criminal activities. It's the way they hold themselves, the air of secrecy that lingers in this room, the cloak and dagger atmosphere. You don't recognise any of them. At least, you don't recognise any of them as they are now, dressed up, enjoying themselves, being merry, yet also silently scrutinising if you've seen any of these people before, and some of their faces are familiar, you've seen them as grainy old black and white wanted posters, file photos, mugshots, messy hair, gaunt faces, pockmarked skin. 
There is one you definitely do realize, do recognize, though, Barry, with six successes. A most curious man standing directly behind the Baron's throne. Much taller than anyone else. Nearly seven feet tall, if you had to guess. His bear-like face is wrinkled, pockmarked with scars, wounds, birthmarks. His deep blue eyes, narrow, savage, his... Long blonde hair, wild and unkept, and slung over his shoulder, perhaps the very biggest woodcutting hatchet you've ever seen. Do you make any sign that you recognise this man? And I'll say where you recognise him from. You recognise him from the same old wanted posters you've been pouring through as you've been trying to track down the Buckley Slasher, the one who's been draining people, leaving them utterly empty of blood. You've had several sightings, read several old case reports, and this man, dishevelled blonde hair, bear-like face, savage eyes... Big Axe. All these things have been mentioned in several of them. So he was a prime suspect. Yeah. Or at the very least, someone who was memorable enough and intimidating enough to stick out in people's minds. Hmm. Um... I think I... I think I do want him to clock that I, re- that I recognize him. I'm not gonna hide mm. I'm not gonna make any attempt to. So you just meet his eyes, give him a knowing glance? Yeah, more like a knowing stare. Knowing stare. Go ahead, make me a charisma intimidation check. Boy, two successes. Two successes. I'm going to roll for him, and we'll see how this goes. You meet his eyes. Give him a knowing glance, your face stony, you don't smile, you keep your lips thin, neutral, straight. Give him that cold, stony look of a cop who a cop who knows that you're not to be trusted and even though they can't bring you in now, knows that one day you'll slip up. The man throws back his head, lets out an audible chuckle. (laughs) And as he smiles, you shudder. Each of his teeth is long, narrow, 
and pointed like a razor-sharp needle. It's as if his entire mouth contains nothing but large, sharp, hungry canines. He flashes all of his teeth, as many as he possibly can. And he says, You finally found me, officer. But it doesn't look like you have the big picture quite yet. Oh, so, go ahead, Barry. No, I just stand warm. Um, have I? Do I reckon? I don't recognize that voice. You don't recognize the voice. You've never heard this man talk. Yeah. Right. But as, as you stonewall him, you can't help but realise that if not for the fact that you're one of these monsters yourself, if you had found this place, set foot in this lounge just two nights ago, you would be filled with jubilation. Your heart would be pounding a million times a second. You would be on the verge of cracking the case, you finally found the inner sanctum, the place from which Buckley's most dangerous individuals hold court. But now I'm one of them. But now you're one of them. Behind you, you see Gil make a bow. His face nearly touching the ground, just like Wisteria. And it's clear that he's employing whatever he made use of down in the bar below. The dim light of the lounge illuminating his face in just the right way to make his smile seem innocent, childlike, non-threatening. The Baron nods and beckons for him to come forward, and that just leaves Robert. Robert, who's hanging at the door, about a metre away from Barry. Hoodie still pulled over his hideous face, but now, Robert, you're among your own kind. As you glance across the room, you see at least one other Nosferatu, not counting Julian, who's seated at the roulette table, who meets your eyes right now and nods encouragingly at you. Yeah, Robert will, will make his way forward and, like, take the hoodie off as he does, so it's just the, the slightly nicer clothes he tried to put on earlier. And do you make any effort to bow, or curtsy, or present yourself to the Baron? So far, Zarya and Barry have just stepped forwards, made themselves known, but Wisteria has given a very formal curtsy, and that seems to have endeared her to at least some of the vampires present. Uh, I think you'll give the sort of, like, Head, head and like slight upper body sort of like nod bow just sort of like a like introductory sort of thing go ahead make me a charisma etiquette check yeah. you got this 
No, and my Nos floor won't comply to this, will it? No, it will not. They've seen Nosferatu. Yeah. They've seen them plenty of times. Uh, one success. One success. So between you, with your one success, with Wisteria's two, and with Barry's two successes on his, on his Intimidate, mm. that's five successes altogether. If either one of you had been on your own, it's unlikely that the vampires gathered here, that these monsters would appear anywhere near as welcoming as they are now, but all of you together making at least a token attempt to register that you know your place. It seems to have been enough. The Baron once again nods in acceptance and over by one of the blackjack tables a tall Solid, very wide man with a long, flowing grey beard waves his hand in the air and shouts, Ah, fucking hell, someone's fucking coached them! Here I thought they'd be fucking tripping over themselves, pissing themselves, like all the other fledglings that are brought here. Fuck, here they are, you'd think they're from the fucking can! Wisteria raises her eyebrows and... Obviously, doing it for humor, we can still piss. Stage whispers to Barry. That's news. What, the, the woman with long blonde hair smiles and she says, I don't advise trying it. Not in polite company. Uh, well, that's whatever. That's advice anywhere you go for anyone, really. Whatever. Malthouse is right. You've come here, you've deferred to authority, and you've shown that, well, regardless of the circumstances of your embrace, that you definitely don't want to present yourselves as a threat. Far from it. She steps back, pointing towards the Baron, deferring to him. He clears his throat as he leans forwards, and he says... <clears throat> Well, uh, you've probably been informed. My name is Sebastian Wilde. I'm, uh, the Baron of this city, such as it is. Not that I place myself above anyone here. Here in Buckley, every kindred has a voice. Everyone gets a fair go, and that's how it's been since the gold rush. Since, since I helped snatched this place from the jaws of the cam. Really, think of me more as a figurehead. Everyone in this city handles their own affairs. I'm merely the one who settles the disputes, doles out domain when necessary, and mediates over any problems that will arise. So, go ahead. Uh, ah, a bit like the Queen Mother then. Got it. 
<laughs> he smiles. <laughs> Been doing it long before she was even a gleam in her parents' eyes. If you conduct yourselves correctly, and if you give us no reason to believe that you present any threats, you'll be welcome to live among us here in Buckley as more kindred equal like anyone else with your own domain, with your own voice. And you'll be entrusted with the freedom to conduct your own affairs. That's why I sent word through Julian that you were to meet us here tonight. We're not the cam. We don't... We don't... make formalities the be-all and end-all. In Camarilla territories, it is customary for new kindred to present themselves to the prince. And in a sense, that's what you're doing here tonight. But rest assured, I would only ask for such a thing because of the dire circumstances we find ourselves in. Circumstances that are somewhat embroiled with your being here, with you awakening as vampires. Uh, speaking of which, says the Baron, and... Gestures towards Wisteria, as if seeing her as the one prepared to do most of the talking. He says, I'd like to know, in fact, I think all of us here would like to know what exactly you understand about your current situation. Just so, just so the rest of us here know where we have to start, yes. He smiles, beaming. Well, fortunately, we've all been relatively well exposed to popular culture, so after we woke up and uh, slaked our thirst, as it were, we began to suspect that there were uh, that uh, individuals associated with a fellow named Bram and Stoker might be involved in this matter. And... Um, we decided to save the existential angst for a more opportune time and uh, vacated the premises after disposing of evidence. That done, we ran into a good fellow by the name of Julian. Julian looks up. Scene. Julian looks up from the crowd and shouts, Here! Here! And he was kind enough to fill us in the essentials. Do not break the masquerade was the word? Yes. Don't break the masquerade. Don't uh, poach on somebody else's ter territory. And for God's sakes, try not to go up against creatures who have survived for centuries and gone that way by being infinitely wiser and much more powerful than newly made fledglings. Oh, <laughs> please, I'm not... I'm not that old just yet, says the Baron, smiling. Mm, centuries, plural, I'm still working towards, you see. But Julian has the long and short of it, and... Jules, Jules, good job getting them up to speed. 
Over in the corner, Julian shrugs and he says, Well, they did wake up in my territory, didn't they? Mm, yes, there is that, says the Baron. You understand, of course, why the circumstances of your embrace, how and where you woke up, and the very beginning of your existence as kindred would raise some contention among the kindred of this city. We have been informed that our method of hmm, death is a bit unusual and a bit out of practice for this particular area. But you're willing to get to the bottom <laughs> of it, of course. We've been doing precisely that. There's a fellow that I owe some... Mm, payback to, put it that way, and I do repay my debts. She adjusts her white suit a bit and glances around. Mm, yes, yes, we'll have time for that momentarily. His gaze passes over the rest of you who are assembled, and then he says, And the rest of you? Your experiences more or less line up with what Wisteria here has recounted? Very nice. He exchanges a glance with the man with the big axe and the pointy teeth, and then his eyes narrow as he leans forwards rubbing his chin with his fingers as he stares intently at Barry. And you, officer, the most unusual case. Your name was on the lips of several here, I must say. Word is you were getting rather close to discovering our little secret for yourself, at least before whoever embraced you decided to step in. So I have to ask, you being here, being among us, what is your intention? Are we to uh, expect you to try and take us in quietly? I'm looking for my family. If you your can help me do that, I can help you. Your family? Uh, they weren't there when you were embraced? The only memory I have is of my partner lying in a pool of blood and a tall man with long hair saying that you finally found me. And Barry just stares at the man with the axe. Mm. Well, rest assured, he slaps the axe-wielding man on the shoulder. It was not Pierce here who saw fit to defile you or your family, but Pierce is very good, among other things, at finding people 
who do not wish to be found. If you don't consider yourself to be our enemy, then we'll do whatever is in our power to help you. He addresses the room at large. It's always the same with police. There's always something they want, some vice. Uh, alcohol, narcotic, women, men. He levels his eyes once more and gazes into yours as he says, Rest assured, Barry. If you're going to help us, deal with some things that are currently causing a lot of problems in the city, then you'll be our friend and us Anarchs stick together. Is that acceptable? Very just... I mean, a million outcomes and contingency plans are swirling in his head. He knows he doesn't want to. He knows he doesn't want to set any loyalties in stone for now, but he knows this is the only way. Currently, he can continue to bring justice to that man. Yeah, if there's one thing Barry knows, it's it's how to talk to unscrupulous characters, how to let them believe they're in control without actually promising anything to them. Beside you, Gil slaps you on the shoulder and says, Course he's your mate. We're all your mates, aren't we? Barry just gives a quick death stare to Gil again. He chuckles, grabs the front of his shirt and backs off and says, Ah, that is. Uh, we wouldn't dream of doing anything to cause you blokes and, and, and gals any, any trouble. Good, good, says Wild. Just as I expected, you've taken to your new condition fairly well, it seems. You made it through your first night in one piece, didn't make any huge mistakes. I reckon you've got the potential to be valuable members of our little community. He opens his mouth to say something else, and then someone seated around one of the blackjack tables, a... Vaguely canine-faced man, short but very tall, bears his teeth and shouts, SPEAK FOR YOURSELF, SNAKE FUCKER! The rest of his pack size up behind him, staring off the Baron and you. How do we know they're not with the cam? They're lucky they weren't found on my turf. My pack would've... The Baron raises his hand, interrupting, Fledglings, only a single night dead? Please, the Camarilla would sooner destroy them for being strays. The dog-faced man glowers. And why shouldn't we? As if we need more fangs competing for territory around here. Yeah, says the man with the long grey beard, slamming a fist into an open palm. Yeah, my coterie's got enough trouble holding down Lakeside as it is without fresh blood trying to poach everything we got. 
The Baron looks at them, his eyes flickering bright yellow, and the smile fades from his face. You swear that you hear him hiss and bare his fangs as he says in a low voice, We don't destroy fledglings just because we don't know who their sires are. We're all about giving everyone a fair go in this city. Remember? The dog faith. Go ahead, Wisteria. About that, Wisteria says, we actually know who two of them are. Well, one sire for two of us. As you say this... The room explodes into a cacophony of voices as all the vampires present begin shouting over each other. Finally, the man with the axe bears his long, sharp canine teeth again and brandishes his axe, silencing the room. The woman with blonde hair raises her hand. Look! They've got leads to follow. You just heard it from the mouth of babes. I'm sure they're not here to steal anybody's territory or to soften it up, soften us up for the cam. The Baron nods in agreement. Of course. You should all be ashamed of yourselves. We're all about giving everyone a fair go in this city. Sure bits the dog-faced man, so long as it don't fuck with said-eye business. But then he holds his tongue and is quiet again. The Baron raises his hand. Why don't we hear it straight from the horse's mouth? Go on. Everyone has a voice here. Tell us what you've found. Hmm. Oh, we could. Or we could show you. Julian, is that VCR here? Julian looks over, and he nods. Hey, Robbo, you wanna come over here, help me get the tally and all that shit out? But, do you assist to... Do you assist Julian as he be beckons for you to follow him as he makes his way towards a little antechamber just off the side of the lounge? Was that addressed to me? That was addressed to Robert. Okay. Yeah. Ah, yes. Robert nods silently, and you see him edge through the crowd towards Julian. The two of them disappear into an antechamber. Their disjointed silhouettes vanishing into the darkness. Next, the Baron peers down at those who are left, Wisteria, Zarya, Barry, and Gil. And he says, I understand you have something to show me. Julian mentioned a tape. I understand you, he points at you, Zarya, are particularly good with electronics. You know, computers and the like. I'm afraid it's all beyond me. Uh, yeah, that's right. Before we see it, of course, he says, would you kindly tell us uh, from when and where it was procured? What we should expect to see? Uh, 
Um, this was the tape. Uh, refresh my memory here, out of. Yeah, this was the security yeah. footage of someone, presumably Kezia, breaking into your hotel room, flinging you out into the hallway, and you could see her pretty clearly on it from what you remember. So it's, it's basically just the footage of our embrace? Yeah, or at least the very beginning of it. There's also Your embrace is... Yeah, of, there's also... Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, exiting from a black car. So, do you tell him where you got the footage from, or do you instead try to dodge the question? Um, I mean, this is from... I don't think it's particularly relevant. I mean, it's security footage. <laughs> uh, so I don't think I'm going to necessarily tell where it's from but i'll explain like what it is yeah we've got some security footage you say uh, was in a database and we thought it would be worth checking out to see if there was anything that would be useful and and what do you know we we stumbled upon something that was useful the baron's eyes narrow he looks over at barry and he says and we here are the first to see this footage. It hasn't yet found its way into the hands of the police. That's correct. Will it find its way into the hands of the police? It absolutely will not. We absconded with it from the source. He nods, but... His eyes linger on Barry as if trying to detect some... some sign of defiance in Barry's face. Off Barry's just getting annoyed by these questions. Yeah. It's annoying more so than defiance. Perhaps the fact that... Perhaps the fact that Barry's going along with this at all is enough to show the Baron that for now... For now, he genuinely intends to play along. He brushes his hand in the air. Oh, well, let's see it then, shall we? He gestures towards the antechamber where Julian and Robert disappeared. And In the antechamber, Robert, Julian leads you across a unlit, dusty room littered with wooden boxes, old gambling tables, shelves groaning under the weight of boxes of dice and chips and empty cocktail glasses. At the very back there's a television and a VCR setup. Anyone who's gone to primary school in Australia knows exactly what I'm talking about here. It's the exact same <laughs> time kind of TV that your teacher would roll into the classroom when they wanted to show you a movie or when they wanted a break from teaching. As he beckons you over to take the other side of it and help him wheel it into the main room, he looks you in the eyes and then he sighs. He hisses as he breathes deeply and the unnatural curves on his face 
grow longer in the deep shadow. How you feeling, Robbo? He says with genuine concern on his animal-like face. You find anything at that, uh, at that, 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 that sewage place? Uh, yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a patch of it. I think it was like flying fox. It seems to be like a flying fox fur or something. Flying fox fur, says Julian thoughtfully. You didn't happen to get a scrap of it or something. I mean, no one, no noz like that here in Buckley, but with all this word of the cam invasion, there's been plenty of out-of-towners around. I could ask around, but ah, you're empty-handed, aren't you? Your mind flashes back, back to that security guard, the very one you trained, lying broken, battered, limp in your arms. You shudder. I guess what I want to know, says Julian, is, like I said, us Nos, we look after our own. You've got a sire out there who's done a runner. And, well, I can ask around. I can try to get a feel for who's who's rocking orange fur and bat wings, get you a lead to point you in the right direction, but... He sighs once again, narrows his eyes, and he says... Like I said, Noz, a tight-lipped. I start asking around. This bloke's gonna know you're looking for him. So, I wanted to speak to you out of earshot of the Baron. Because I want to ask you whether you think it's worth putting any info about that bloke out at all. If it were me, if it were me, I'd keep it tight-lipped. I wouldn't tell the Baron, because there's no way it's going to be kept under wraps, and then this guy skips town. You'll never find him again. On the other hand, you trust me with it. And I'm sure I'd be able to dig something up, but you'd lose the element of surprise. See what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 hit me and me. So then, mm. as he lays his arms, as he rests his arms on the top of the TV and leans over, how desperately you want to find your sire? Right now, all the Baron cares about is that you guys show him you're not Cam and that you're willing to pull your weight. Don't necessarily have to find your sire for that. But I understand. Revenge. The need for payback. That's a pretty powerful drive. drive. That copper friend of yours, he's got it 
written all over his face. So before we sit, before we wheel this thing out there and start telling the Baron everything you guys know, how do you want to handle your sire? Tight-lipped? For my ears only? Or lay it all out there? And no matter what you choose, I'll, I'll support you. Nos to nos. We, we look after our own. Yeah. Well, I suppose that's... Kindred are supposed to be immortal, aren't they? Nah, you, you play your cards right, <laughs> says Julian. Hmm. Truth is, uh, fledglings like you? Mm. He frowns. See, most of them... <laughs> Most of them get the chop mm, one, two years into it. Sometimes they last for five. Sometimes they last for ten. But if you're expecting to end up like the Baron out there and have history be your backstory, well, you've got to play your cards right. And that means not giving people ammunition to use against you and not... Letting your enemies know you've got something planned that you're sitting on. Yeah. Yeah, well, if time's not really a worry, then I think I can be a bit patient with getting back to the meeting with my sire, so I think we'll keep it between us for now. He nods. There's a something that passes for a smile on his <laughs> on his bat-like, rat-like, rodenty face. He twitches his nose and he says, "Good. Good. I suppose that'll make things easier. Whoever you choose to go after on the baron's orders won't know you're going to be after them. You'll have some of an element of surprise and well, We'll bide our time, and when this flying fox fucker surfaces again, then when he thinks he's safe and you've forgotten all about him, that's when we make our move, like flinging open a trap door and pouncing. Come on, he says. You take the other side there. Let's go. And he grunts as he begins to push the heavy TV it takes a few moments for the wheels to finally spin around and end up all all aligned with each other and you wheel the television and VCR out into the casino floor. The Baron and everyone else present watching silently, expectantly. Zarya hands you the VHS tape and you slide it in. Press the button and stand back. The footage plays out, and everyone in the room watches silently, watches every single frame. Kezia stepping into Zarya's hotel room, confronting her, violently accosting her, the feed cutting out just moments before she administers the embrace. And then, just before 
Julian slides the VHS tape out. Just before he gets ready to play the next piece of footage, he looks over the room, meets Barry's eyes, and Barry, he gives you a curt nod, as if asking you whether you're prepared for all of the vampires assembled here to see what could be the last moments of not only your life, but your partner's as well. I think Barry, just just while just while the last video was playing, is going to keep an eye out on everyone's facial expressions, see if you can find any um, hints of recognition or anything that might be suspicious. Good idea. So I'll get you to go ahead and roll me a wit plus either investigation or insight. If you have or specs, heightened senses, you may add an extra dice to the pool. I will do so. Oof. Um, three successes. Three successes. And i got to make a rouse check. Uh, not for heightened senses, no. It's a, oh, it's okay. a level one ability, so it's free. Fun, fun. So it's, it's actually very useful for situations such as this. Oh, yeah. As, as Julian presses play and the lounge is filled with the terrified sobs of your partner, of Fern whimpering on the phone, calling for help, begging you to hurry up to get here faster. As you hear yourself burst through the door, cock your gun as you hear that cold voice once again say... Ah, officer, you finally found me. The blood in your veins boils. The beast, ever present in the pit of your stomach, growls, rattles the bars of its cage. You feel the anger beginning to well up, and it takes every ounce of willpower you have to suppress it, to stop yourself from opening your mouth and screaming in anguish, crying for Fern and Lyra, demanding someone take accountability. You manage to maintain control over your faculties. To all outward presentations, you appear to be cool and calm and collected as your gaze slowly sweeps across the room. And then you see it. Then you see it. The man... The... the the tall, skinny man with the canine-like face. The one who called the Baron a snake fucker leans in intently when he hears that voice. You found me. Finally found me, officer. You see his eyes glimmer for just a moment as he exchanges a furtive look with the vampire next to him, a woman in a leather vest with long, green punk spikes. She nods warily, and then the two of them continue watching the footage, leaning in, listening carefully, 
until finally the feed cuts to static. Tough. Well, says the Baron, that was certainly enlightening. Whoever attacked you either paid no heed to cover their track or they intended for this footage, for this evidence to be found and presented to the court, to the rant. I'm not sure which one I believe to be the case. And so I think it best if any further investigations are carried out by you. You are, after all, the aggrieved parties. Hmm. Well, I certainly don't see a problem with that. Kind of what I would expect to be spending my next few nights anyway. The Baron nods. It's perhaps no secret that you were going to be given a task tonight. After all, even though this is a city of Anarchs, even though all have a fair go, have a voice here, Buckley is not a large city. We cannot very well allow any new kindred that show up to place additional strain on the city. The population of mortals here is already straining to support the kindred that are already here. I think it goes without saying that if you manage to apprehend one of these agitators, perhaps one of the very ones depicted here in this video footage, then You'll have demonstrated to everyone here that you are trustworthy, and furthermore, that you can get things done. I'll allow you to select places in the city to hold as your domain, I will legitimize it, and... As he passes his gaze around the room, sees a couple of the other Anarchs squirming, muttering amongst themselves, he raises his voice slightly, and I will ensure that nobody else has a problem with it. Does this arrangement sound agreeable to each of you? Posteria looks back at the others. Done. The Baron smiles as he leans back in his throne and almost swear you can hear him purring like some great feline. Yes. He purses his lips, thinks for a moment, and then continues. Well, we won't let you into this empty handed we will furnish you with information and aid you need only ask your questions and we will answer to the best of our abilities but first i have a question for all of you and as he says this he seems 
very curiously interested in wisteria, particularly in the clean white jacket she wears. You know who your sires are, or at least some of them, and you know where to start when it comes to looking for them, but do you know whose blood truly courses through your veins? I'm referring, of course, to clan. There are 13 of them. Each of us kindred in this room belongs to one of them, and you are no exception. I understand as fledglings, and furthermore fledglings lacking a sire to educate them on such things, you're all fumbling in the dark at the moment. And so I'd be willing to offer a gift, a peace offering, in return for a later boon. I can have your blood reveal its secrets to me. Who knows? This might make it much easier to close in on your sires down the line. But it's entirely up to you. I shall leave it on the table, and if you say no, we shall move on to other business, and the offer shall not be mentioned again. Osteria again looks to the others. I'm already fairly certain I know what my clan is. Well, <laughs> yes, it's rather a bit of a given there, given what we learned, isn't it? Hmm. Um, for the clarification of my friends, uh, this uh, boon you would require, may I ask what the nature of a payment would be, or would it be a simple uh, favor for a favor situation? A simple favour for a favour. Not something you'd have to go out of your way to do. I suspect, even were I to not demand this boon, that you may be headed towards this outcome anyway. So really, nothing, no extra effort on your part. Just, uh, just a confirmation that the most positive outcome I have in mind for this situation will be the one that comes to pass. Mysterious. You know, this guy's got, probably got a poker face that he's been practicing for decades, but Wisteria's gonna try and read him anyway. As Wisteria uh, steps... Go ahead. One success. One success? <laughs> I will roll for him. He's probably got like 12 or 13 dice. To his, to his three successes, you get the impression... That when dealing with someone like this, he's only going to make any offer, he's only going to make any deal with someone like you when he gets something out of it, overwhelmingly, without even having to hear what he has in mind, this deal is going to benefit him in some way, and likely not benefit you at all, other than giving you some information that may or may not be handy at some unknown future point. Hmm. I, I of course, will undertake this, but may I request uh, that I 
gained the information privately. Privately? He looks over at the rest of the coterie. Does anyone else wish to partake in this information? Uh, Zarya is not, uh, not privy to this, no. Well, Barry's... we can... Go ahead, Barry. He Barry's beckons softly. Go really... ahead. Yeah, Baron's really tormented. He... He needs as many clues as he can yeah there, there's one bit of information that for you that this would be able to either verify or disprove you were told that that number plate that name that came up nathaniel black is apparently a ventru if that's your clan well then that would be the person to focus on but if that is not your clan then you know his name is, at worst, a red herring, at best, merely an accomplice. He, he knows he can already find a clue in this person with the canine-like face. They recognize the voice, he's sure of that. So he has at least some way of identifying, or he has at least one clue he can make up for if he doesn't take this opportunity. And he's also thinking, I think he he just doesn't want to accept any affiliation or piece of his sire within him or any or any connection that they may share. It he's he's only striving for to to bring this person to justice and the day after the or the night after, he just he just it just hasn't crossed his mind. He's not thinking about that. And he's, and it finally comes in his mind, and he's really shocked by what he's pondering about what he might do to himself or do or or do to this whole operation. He's just swimming, and I think eventually he just says, "I can't. I find it myself. Suit yourself." says the prince, says the Baron jovially. Then he silently beckons for Wisteria to step closer to him. At long last, Wisteria, you see him lift himself off his throne. His gaze passes across the others in the room, and then he loudly booms, Please, do your very best to make our new friends feel welcome. Myself and Wisteria will only be a moment. And then he beckons for you to follow him as he leads you across the lounge, past the roulette table, past the blackjack table, past the chase lounge where that mortal woman lies half-naked, strung between two rough-and-tumble-looking anarchs, each of them who eyes you curiously. It's not often that the Baron would seek private counsel with a fledgling fresh off the street whatever information he has to divulge must be very juicy indeed 
He leads you into the same antechamber from which Julian and Robert emerged a few minutes ago. And, curiously, there's someone waiting for you in there. A woman with very short auburn hair and a long, flowing red cloak, embroidered with all sorts of strange, arcane and occult-looking symbols in golden thread. She looks up and nods as the Baron leads you into the room. I do love your caper. And I love your... I love your jacket, says the woman. Very fitting, very, uh... Her gaze passes between you and the Baron, she says. Very, uh... Evocative. She thrusts out a hand. Uh, Desiree is my name. I'm, uh, I'm of House Goratrix. Not that that would mean anything to you. I'm afraid not. Uh, Wisteria, pleased to make a pleasure to make your acquaintance. She silently shakes your hand and then she turns around and begins arranging a variety of brass instruments, glass test tubes, and pieces of parchment with yet more bizarre arcane symbols on them on one of the wooden crates. Humming as she does so, it takes her about two or three minutes, neither of you speak as she prepares her instruments, and then finally she whirls around brandishing an empty test tube and says, oh, uh, just a drop will do, thank you. Um, you go ahead. All right. Wisteria slides out a pearl-handled switchblade, flicks it open, makes a wrist. Go ahead, make a rouse check for me. That's a total failure, and that's up to Hunger 4. Hunger 4. She is not hiding it well. It seems that she's taking, at least to you, far more than just a drop. As the blood begins to pour down your wrist, she slides the hem, the, the lip of the test tube up and the blood drops down into it. And by the time she's done, the test tube is at least half full and inside you feel the beast groaning. Why are we here? Why are you letting them take what is yours? You should demand something return, demand payment. That's how things work, after all, isn't it? One boon for another, that is how monsters make things work. Yes, and well, he's got... Well, I owe him a boon, he's less likely to kill me. Quiet, you've... You find yourself fidgeting on the spot as Desiree rips the test tube out of your hand. She whirls around and busies herself with her task, mixing noxious-smelling powders and other bizarre components into the test tube, shaking it, and then you watch as your blood inside the vial changes colour, glowing a bright, vibrant purple. Desiree frowns as she studies it for a few moments, and then she looks over at the Baron, and she says, Well, looks like you were right. The Baron smiles. 
He peers down at you, Wisteria, and he says, Tell me. Tell me what you know of your sire. Hmm. Wisteria's eyes slide over to Desiree. Very well. I'd originally worn the suit to send him a message. That I remembered. And she gives a description of his height and estimated weight. Uh, blonde hair, but it could have been dyed. Wore a white suit. I was going to wear this suit. Frankly, I was going to wear this suit tonight to send him a message that I knew, and I wasn't going to say anything. I wanted to see what reactions he'd make. As you describe... As you describe Mr. O, the Baron and Desiree nod, occasionally exchanging glances, and when you're done, the Baron smiles, a cold, cruel smile. And he says, You are a child of Set. A Setite. As am I. We share the same blood. And I know from whom you received it. He says, I do not know your sire personally. However, there have been Setites from other domains who would impede upon my authority. I am what's known as the Snakehead in this town. That essentially means I call the shots. Those of Set's blood who are here in this city are here because I permit them to be here. The one who gave you his blood received no such permission from me. Not only that, but he managed to purchase the services, that is, steal the services, of one of my trusted retainers. A ghoul by the name of Orson, or, as many of the kindred of this domain know him, Mr. O. Does the name ring a bell? It has. It came up in relation to Kezia. He's working with Kezia. And your sire is indeed a child of Set. And the blood does not lie. Then the big picture is finally revealed to me. He says... 100 years or more ago, it was I who led a local contingent of Anarchs against the Camarilla. We wrenched this city from their grasp, and I must admit, when I did it at the time, I had ulterior motives. The true motive was to acquire a domain where the children of Set, where I could conduct the business of my clan without oversight from the others. There ended up being a lot of overlap between my duties as a Setite and the duties the Anarchs would require in a Baron, 
And so by chance, I fell into the role I now possess. But the cam never forget when they've been wronged. And there have long been rumours that they will be attempting to establish a foothold in this city very soon, to undermine my authority, to turn Anarch against Anarch, and wrench this city back. I believe that they acquired the services of a local Anarch, in this case, Kezia, and several Anarch adjacent operatives, such as my ghoul, Mr. O, and that these people have essentially been serving as a vanguard to a small coterie of Camarilla vampires who've arrived in the city. They would be your sires, and the circumstances of your death and embrace would serve to undermine my rule. After all, there's nothing that the Camarilla hate more than unruly fledglings causing trouble. There was a sect who used to be active a long time ago called the Sabbat. This was their MO. Embrace a bunch of fledglings, let them wake up, let them cause trouble. And it is my belief that the Camarilla are attempting something similar, perhaps using the spectre of the Sabbat in order to push their agenda. You're a smart woman, Wisteria. I'm sure a lot of this already occurred to you based on the context you've already gleaned. I admit I did. I really don't know the intricacies. I'm still rather new to this, but it did seem to me like a false flag operation. Those I know. That you are indeed a child of Set confirms to me that this is a Camarilla plot. There has been some talk of late of the Camarilla accepting new members, accepting new clans, and there are some Setites who believe the legitimacy of joining the Camarilla would provide more opportunities for our clan to engage in its traditional activities. Which are... What are you... What would you call yourself a purveyor of, Wisteria? He says... Something... Something in his voice. Oozing, schmoozing, telling you that you both already know where this is heading. I consider myself a purveyor of fine things and a conveyor of fine things. A transporter of fine things. A bit of a go-between, really. You ensure that people in need of a certain commodity are able to get access to that commodity, do you not? You, you give people who want nice things nice things. And in return, maybe you get something out of it. Regular customers, after all, well, you can ask them for favours, you can ask them to 
help you with things outside the purview of a purely professional relationship. You understand the nature of a quid pro quo relationship, do you not? Here's a good question, and this is an out-of-game question. Is he turning the full force of his presence upon Wisteria at this point? Is all active? Or, or is most certainly active. Alright, Wisteria doesn't recognize that, and she is going to come clean despite herself. Not to tell the truth, it's really more of a side effect. Uh, you know, pleasing people, it's... Uh, I get a thrill from doing the work I do, and the fact that I get paid at the end of it is really just more... Allows me to keep on going, shall we say. Other people owing you something. Other people relying on you to give them what they need. It is an intoxicating feeling, is it not? It's not the most intoxicating, but it certainly is good to have a useful network of people around you. Here is what I would ask of you, says the Baron, flashing all of his teeth, each of them pearly white even in this dimly lit room. Despite all the dust and dirt and the... The sheer state of the room being messy, unwelcoming, the Baron himself looks every bit the confident movie star. He gathers his arm, wraps it around your shoulder, and moves to pull you closer to him. As a father would do to his daughter. What do you do? For a second, for a second there's resistance. And she has to fight hard to keep from sinking her fangs into his arm. But then she uh, gives in and lets him, lets him pull her close. He smiles, amused, when he sees her very obvious move to restrain herself. He looks you in the eyes and he says, You would be wasted with the Camarilla when you apprehend Kezia. When you apprehend Mr. O, and anyone else who's unfortunate enough to be in the wrong place at the wrong time when you find them, you will bring them straight to me. You will not allow your friends to enact revenge, you will not harm them or lay a finger on them yourself. You will convince your coterie to secure them and bring them before me, right here. Do you understand? Of course. I would, I would like you to go ahead, Wisteria, and make me a Composure plus Wits check. Mm, this is probably... Oh. Nah, it's probably not gonna go well. Hmm. Three successes, hey. Three successes to his five successes. Yep. His entrancement is in full effect. And as he tells you what he wants, you find yourself nodding along with relish. What luck that, that the Baron of the Vampires takes a personal interest in you. While you're in this room with him, you would never even question defying 
his words. He sees that his entrancement has had the expected effect, and he smiles. Good, you understand. Now, come, let us rejoin the others. And he begins to lead you and Desiree back towards the casino. And Wisteria is a bit more talkative as she goes, Once I saw you wearing this suit, I realized it was a move against you, which is why I didn't say anything. I couldn't. That's why I wanted this private kept private, so there wouldn't be any details in case I'd implicate you. And yet, it turned out to be in both our best interests. He winks. Meanwhile... Now, go ahead, Wisteria. Oh, she's done. Meanwhile, out in the casino, after the Baron leaves, the rest of you are left with free reign of the Anarch's rant. The table... The gambling tables are open to you. The rest of the Anarch still curiously watching you intimate with smiles and hand gestures to come over and talk to them and just as the ever-present pains of hunger register in the pit of your stomach you gaze over at the back of the room where several unsettled nervous looking mortals stand in a group each of them dressed in the finest evening wear the baron could afford Zarya, Robert, Barry, is there anything you'd like to do while you wait for the Baron and Wisteria to return? Unless anyone else has anything to do, um, I, I wanted to um, do something. Confront the dog-faced man, sure. Zar Zarya and Robert, how is how are you guys looking on hunger? Oh, there are, of course, refreshments that anyone can take advantage of. I'm at hunger zero. Yeah. You did. So did Robert, if I recall, <laughs> unintentionally. Yeah, still hunger one, so he's fine. <laughs> so, do you just wait where the Baron left you while Barry heads off into the crowd? Or do you follow Barry? Or do you try to mingle? Try to get the feel for Buckley's resident monsters. Uh, Robert might try to like mingle with whatever like uh, whatever other Nosferatu's are there. Mm. Just to like introduce himself sort of thing. And Zarya? Um... She might try, it's not going to be really her strong suit, but... So Zarya and Robert, go ahead and make for me... Either Charisma or Composure plus Etiquette or Leadership Roles. Meanwhile, Barry, 
You cross the casino floor to the back blackjack table where the dog-faced man and the woman with green spikes look up at you as you approach. They say nothing, although the dog-faced man glares, subtly baring his canine teeth as you approach. I'm just going to stand directly in front of him and stare into his eyes and wait for him to get up. He gestures towards an empty seat on the opposite side of the table, grunting, inviting you to take a seat. Barry steps back so he can go first. He nods and he slides into the seat. The woman remains standing, standing right behind him, folding her arms, watching you carefully as you take your own seat. So, says the dog-faced man, leaning over. What's your poison? He begins shuffling a deck of cards. Um. Barry plays along. Shuffles. Shuffles the cards, deals out a hand, and then he hands the deck to the woman with the pink, with the green spikes. She smiles and nods and takes the third seat, playing the part of banker. She slides an additional card to the dog-faced man and then another one to you. You look down at the cards in your hand. You hold a king and a five of spades, 15 all together. You can't see what the dog-faced man is holding, but he smiles as she hands him his card. He looks at her and he says, Hit! She slides him a third card, and then his smile extends even broader across his face. He leans forwards, eyeing you to see what you'll do next. He's gonna... Barry's gonna inside check. If that's okay. Yep, sorry, what does Barry do? Oh, he's just gonna try and insight. Um yeah. see what he's see what he's thinking. Yeah, go ahead, make me a composure or wits plus insight check. Cool. One success. One success. You see the dog-faced man peering over the rim of his cards at you, at your face, watching carefully. And so is the woman. They don't seem to be very concerned with the game or the cards. Rather, you get the impression that they're both watching just to see whether you buckle under pressure. The woman smiles. So, hit or stand. Or double, she says, gesturing towards a pile of chips on the table. Hit. Hit, she says. She slides a card from the top of from the top of the deck and drops it into your hand. 
a six of hearts. Your score is exactly 21 at the moment. The highest possible score you can get in blackjack without going over. Then she turns to the dog-faced man, smiling expectantly. He looks over at you, trying to gauge the look on your face, and what does he see? Does he see you smiling at your own luck, or do you remain as pensive as you possibly can? No, we are Stone Cold Barry. Stone Cold Barry. Go ahead. Make me a Composure plus Resolve check. Indeed. Uh, two successes. Two successes? He frowns, bearing his canines, and... And then he folds his arms and he proudly proclaims, STAND! Smiling, sure that he's got you beaten, the woman nods and you both lay down your cards, you revealing your 21 and he revealing his jack of spades, his three of hearts, and his five of clubs for a final score of 18. The woman silently pushes the chips in your direction, and then she winks. The dog-faced man leans back. He fixes his eyes on you, and he says, Well played, fledgling. But I can tell you didn't come here just to play cards. Saw you giving me, the, giving me an eyeful while that video was playing. You know. Got the impression I'm on candid camera or something, so go ahead. Why don't you lay your real cards down on the table? I think you know what I want to know. Best just get on with it. The voice. Voice on the tape. You could see I recognised him, right? Who's he to you? Ah! Brushes his hand in the air. Stupid question. He's probably your sire. What I meant to ask is, what do you plan to do with him? You heard what the Baron said. Bring him to justice. Bring him to justice? And, and... And a copper like you knows all about justice, right? You're, you're going to bring him before the Baron so he can face due process. He's not going to find himself meeting the final death in police custody. You know, police. We'll see what happens. His name is Matthew Cousins, or... Bluey, that's what he goes by most of the time. Bluey Cousins. He's from Melbourne, but... But... He ain't from the cam, or at least that's what we believed up until now. 
something of a double agent. Said he was spying for the cam, but also had Anarch interests. Was in tight with the Anarchs down in Melbourne, so they say. And was helping some of uh, the info of what the cam's been up to find its way into Buckley, find its way to the Baron's ears. But he's still, still in deep with the Melbourne crowd and, well... Me and my pack, we ain't exactly have ever really trusted him. When I heard his voice there on that tape, wasn't exactly a surprise. Though, if you'd asked me a week ago whether I thought he'd pulled something like this, I probably would have said even he's not that fucking stupid. Oh. But, if he's who we think he is, if he's your sire... His eyes narrow. Then you've probably bit off more than you can fucking chew, mate. How often does he come to Buckley? Uh, not often at all. That's why he was. Why it's. Why it's so infuriating if that is him on the tape. See, some of us Anarchs have had business with him. Got a few leads we wanted him to look into, keep an eye on the cam down in Melbourne, and he ain't been anywhere where anyone can find him. Not answering calls, not even showing his face. And then suddenly all this shit happens, and there he is right on camera. If it is him. So his whereabouts have been unaccounted for for how long? Two look at each other. The woman shrugs and she says, oh... Least last six months. Does that line up with the timelines of the different killings of the Bunya, uh, the Buckley uh, slasher? Yeah, it, it does line up. The Buckley slasher, the Buckley Bunyip. He's got a different name in every different media outlet. But one thing is common between all of the scattered, whispered, whispered, fragmented accounts of his attacks. It all started around six months ago. The end of 1991, just before Christmas. Now see if he's the one you're going after, says the dog-faced man. And at this he throws out a hand. He says, ah, Reg, by the way. Reginald, if you want to be fucking fancy. And this is Mara, he says. Me child. Barry Marwood. Detective Barry Marwood. Shake hands, and his grip is very rough, very tight. Finally extracts his hands, and he says, All I can say is, if you got it in your head to go after that bloke, you'd best uh, disabuse yourself of that notion. See, Bluey's been around for a long fucking time. He'd already been walking the earth for several decades when the Great War reared its ugly head. Bonafide elder you're dealing with there. And no way in hell is he gonna come quietly to a group of fledglings with a single knight under their belts. No, maybe he won't. 
but maybe to a fledgling with two or three or however long it takes for me to get his head. I'd, uh, I'd focus on Kezia. She being local and all, she's probably the middleman. You bring her down, the rest will eventually follow, but... Well, assuming... Assuming you do catch at least one of them, and the Baron inducts you into the fold, gives you domain, gives you places to live, then maybe... Maybe we might be able to make a little, little mutually beneficial deal, says Reg. You're, uh, you're only a couple nights dead. Uh, you're still, still got some pull in the police department, don't you? Gonna be at least a couple decades before you have to start answering the question of why you haven't aged today. For the moment, if I, for example, needed someone to get something done in the cop shop for me, you'd be the uh, right man for the job, wouldn't you? Barry's swimming Romeo uh, in his head. I mean, he's got a name, he's got his description saying the lineup all the pieces are sort of starting to come together and then this sort of and then that question's asked like oh shit how am I going to get this guy what now here's here's what you can do for me says Reg he meets Mara's eyes, and then the two of them lean over the table. I need... I need a copper. I need a copper who understands when vamp stuff turns up. I need a copper who's willing to, uh, do some things in the name of the masquerade. And if I can count on you to be that copper, then maybe, when the time's right, when old Bluey shows his face again, and the time comes to confront him, I can get some muscle to back you up. I can make sure you don't have to face him on your own. Because I know there's a fair few in this city, at least among us Gangrel, that have got a few bones they want to pick with him as well. Barry Mills is over. I think he looks over at Zarya. Looks over at Robert and Gil. And this group that he's starting to starting to get to know and starting to help out he's weighing his options he says sorry I already resigned tonight I can't help you in that direction, but 
puts out a hand. A gang growl. I look forward to our future... to your future cooperation. In other respects. The gang growl bears his fangs, growls... in frustration. For a moment his fist clenches and he's about to pound the table and then he meets his child's eyes. He takes a breath and then he takes your hand and he shakes it. And he says, well, if we can think of something you can do for us, we'll let you know. In the meantime, don't go biting off more than you can chew, eh? I think I can... Yeah, Barry just says, I'll show you all I'm a lot. I'm a lot more capable than you think. Robert walks away back to the casino floor, back to wait for the Baron and Wisteria. Robert and Zarya, how did you go on your dice rolls? One success for me. And Robert? <coughs> uh, so I ended up boosting composure <coughs> and success so I didn't get hungrier. And then got a critical four. Mmm, very good. So Zarya, you start making your way around the room, drifting from one group of Anarchs to the next. You try to start up conversation a few times, take a... But every stab you take at conversation is brushed off or ignored. It's clear that the Anarchs aren't particularly interested in you. They're interested in Wisteria, the one who's chosen to dress like the Baron. They're interested in Barry, the police officer who seems to know more than he lets on. Every oh, time I'm you... particularly upset by that. <laughs> yeah, it's. It's just the story of her life, sitting on the fringes, a social outcast. There's one group of Anarchs, however, that do welcome Zarya, although not quite with open arms. That tall, broadly built Kindred with the long silver beard, him and the raucous, dishevelled looking crowd behind him cheer and hoot as you draw near them. The man with the silver beard pulls out a chair and gestures for you to take a seat. Hey, sit down with us, play a few hands. Oh, and you too! They motion for Gil to come and join you. This should be fun! You can tell us everything you know about Zarya. You should tell us everything you know about Kezia. You sit down, ready to begin the game, but no one actually bothers dealing any cards, laying out any chips. They all just silently contemplate you for a few moments, the only sound being a half-gasp, half-moan elicited by a bespectacled mortal that one of the Anarchs holds close, feeding from. 
the silver-bearded man slams a fist into his palm, and he says, Right, so Kezia. Reckon she did quite a number on you. We know her style. She ain't ain't very fucking gentle when she feeds. Surprised you still got all your limbs. Well, I'm uh, thankful for that. Well, I'd be thankful too. See, Kezia's a... Uh, Kezia's a... Uh, a hothead, even for us Bruha, says the silver-bearded man. The other Bruha not in agreement. Just last week, she stormed out of the rant in a fuss because the Baron objected to her trying to muscle in on, uh, you know, Sedite stuff. Seems she'd been, uh, been grooming the Baron's ghoul, Mr. O, was trying to get an in on uh, the illicit drug trade, and, well, rule number one here in Buckley is you don't fucking mess with Sedite shit. Kezia did, and she got in trouble for it, and I reckon it's probably the Baron who pushed her straight into the arms of the cam. So, you two... He looks at Gil and Zarya. You've got to ask yourselves. He smiles. If the Baron's so ready to ride off Kezia, then what do you expect he's going to do with you two? Not as if we need more Fangs competing for turf anyway, says one of the other Bruha. How do we know? How do we know Kezia didn't just send a ticking time bomb in here ticking time bomb in here to fuck us all up? It'd be the sort of half brain scheme she'd pull. Uh, I don't feel like a time bomb. Uh, she's trying her best. This is not her uh, forte. <laughs> this kind of diplomacy is not her. Uh... Yeah, and and it's clear to the other Bruha. They look at you. They look at you, fidget nervously fidgeting and exchange gl glances. A couple of them snigger and chuckle and. One of the women leans forwards and she says, You sure you're Kezia's child? Only uh, the Kezia we know gets fucking pissed at the drop of a hat. And if you're Kezia's child, then logically you'd be fucking pissed and out for revenge. I mean, you saw the tape. Seemed pretty clear to me. Hmm, strange, though. Strange you're not... Strange you're so... composed. One of the other... One of the other Bruha, a dark-skinned, bald man, chuckles, throws his head back and laughs out loud. <laughs> 
Don't worry, she just ain't realised yet that what she's good for is fighting. Sticking it to the can. Yeah, yeah, right, says the man with the silver beard. Sticking it to the can. Zarya Gill. If you'd like us to accept you as part of part of our clan, call you Honourable Bruha, then we gotta know you can fight. And that means it's up to you to teach Kezia a lesson. You betray your fellow Bruha, you fuck out, you find out. So what are you going to do when you find her, eh? The Bruha, the Bruha see you, see you silently contemplating and all of them laugh, a bitter, raucous laugh in your face. <laughs> <laughs> the silver-bearded Bruhar chews you away with his hand and he says, How about you come back and talk to us when you've proven you can actually pull your weight out around pull your weight around here, you whelp. Oh, she'll just kind of sneer at them and leave. And Robert. You got two successes, I believe? Uh, critical four. Critical four, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> You're unaware of any of this. You're unaware of Barry confronting the dog-faced Gangrel. You're unaware of Zarya and Gil meeting their fellow Bruja because you're at the very back of the room with the Nosferatu, with the three other Nosferatu, all of them shrouded in shadow. Not playing a game, not drinking, each of them just silently seated around the table, watching the events of the rant, listening to the conversations, drinking in every single word. They welcome you when you approach. They pull out a chair and gesture for you to take a seat right in between Julian and another man, a tall, Nearly impossibly tall man with gangly insectoid limbs and mandibles. And as you slide into the seat, both of the Nosferatu smile and gesture towards the casino lounge at large, inviting you to enjoy the privileged position of a Nosferatu, enjoying your chance to listen in. And see what information you glean. And so what do you listen into, Robert? Is there any particular piece of information you try to scope out? Or do you just sit back, drink it all in, compare notes with the other Nosferatu, and see what shakes out? Yeah, I think he's just going to do that. Just, like, see what interesting things he can hear and compare and all that go ahead and make me a composure plus stealth check what obfuscate abilities do you have may i ask uh cloak of shadows and unseen passage 
Mm. If you'd like to remain totally still and activate your Cloak of Shadows, you can add an extra dice to the pool. Yeah, sure. So, Composure Stealth. Let's see how you go. I just want to see if I can find something interesting, so I'm going to burn a will <laughs> just to try and... Burn a will, see what shakes out. Yeah. See if I can't re-roll some of those into some successes. There. Alright, so that comes to three successes. You lean back. Blending into the shadows, calling upon your vampiric blood to do its work. The other Nosferatu on either side of you are still unmoving, relying on their own obfuscate to keep them hidden, to cause the others in the room to forget that they're there, to forget that they're listening, always listening. For a moment, it brings to mind in your head, seeing these Nosferatu on either side of you just pensively watching, it makes you think of the two old men from the Muppets up there in their, up there in their box at the top of the playhouse, surveying everything deep below, judging every little word, every single motion. Just a lot uglier. The murmurs of all the different Anarchs fill your ears, and after a while, almost as if you're operating on instinct, you feel your ears prick, you find yourself being drawn to a particular sector of the room, leaning forwards, listening in on one particular conversation. The beast deep inside purrs with anticipation, as the Nosferatu nature deep within you takes over. There's some Anarchs at the opposite end of the room, seated around the bar, nursing some, nursing some crystal glasses filled with darkened blood, leaning in, whispering, talking to each other furtively, doing their very best to remain out of earshot but completely blissfully unaware of the Nosferatu sitting only feet away from them. Oh, it's, it's good that the the Baron's going to send those fledglings after Kezia, because yeah, yeah, I know. Ticking time bomb for any, uh, any of us, right? She's got her hands in so many pies, and someone from Melbourne's got to be helping her. Baron's got the underworld fairly tied up here in Buckley, and for Mr. O to join her side, for her to be cavorting with those people, criminals at her beck and command, it's got the stink of Melbourne behind it, don't it? You know, the Prince of Melbourne's tied up in the underworld too, and you think the other one leans in further checks to make sure the coast is clear and then whispers 
You think the Baron's setting him up for reprisal from Melbourne? Well, all I'm saying is whoever knocks off Kezia, if she's got all these resources that have come out of nowhere, all these people backing her, taking her out's going to put a pretty big target on the heads of those who did it, right? Yeah, well, that'd be Baron Wild for you says the other vampire, taking a sip from his wine glass. That'll be Baron Wild for you, always making sure his hands are clean. It's at this point, just as they finish their sentence, that you hear a loud clap and look up to see the Baron, Wisteria trailing behind, once again entering the room. The Baron gives a hearty laugh as he settles back into his throne and beckons for the Coterie to assemble in front of him. So, Wisteria and I have just had a little talk in private, and it's become apparent, at least from Wisteria, that you will set your sights upon Kezia. You'll hunt her down, apprehend her, and bring her to face justice before me. And as a result, Buckley welcomes you as one of us, members of our fine Anarch community. You can pick anywhere you like in the city, and as long as nobody else already claims it as their domain, I will do my very best to ensure that your rights are upheld, that you have a voice here, and more importantly, that you are able to conduct your own affairs in peace. So, he holds out his hands. I've heard it from Wisteria already, but I'd like to hear it from the rest of you. Will you accept this task? Track down the traitor Kezia, acquire any intelligence she possesses on the rest of your sires and the growing Camarilla threat, and bring it all before me. And in return, you get to be fully fledged members of our community. What do you say? If it will bring me close to my sire, I will accept. And in return, Gosh. go ahead, Zarya. As I say, he just shrugs and says, sure. And in return, of course, says the Baron, nodding at Barry, I will ensure I do everything in my power to ensure that your missing family are found. Alive or dead or worse. So long as you are prepared Barry lets that sinks in, but he nods. Ah! The knight is no longer young, says Sebastian, clapping his hands together. 
If there's no further business that you would have with me, I release you into the night to conduct your first mission as potential Anarchs to strike a blow for kindred freedom in Buckley. And in the process, earn a place among us. He winks, smiles, and then gestures towards the door behind you. Through the doorway, you can see the long hallway lined with red carpet leading to the elevator, which, at this moment, with a loud ding, arrives, and the doors whoosh open, the same ghoul from earlier in the night waiting inside to take you to the ground floor. Just before um, everyone gets in the elevator, Barry's just going to try and size, size up this Pierce person. Mmm, this um, Pierce. Just trying to figure out, he said that he's good at finding people. What's his, what's his role? Um, or what, what sort of standing does he, can he gleam uh, that he possesses? Would anyone else like to do anything before you leave the Baron's presence? Yeah, take her eyes off the Baron. Wisteria's, nah, she's not doing anything. Robert, Gil, and Zarya casually leave, slowly making their way towards the elevator. Wisteria follows, taking more than a moment to wrench her gaze away from the Baron, who now brightly lit seems to be the source of all radiance in the room. And just before you follow her, Barry, I'd like you to go ahead and make for me a wits plus insight check. And I'll give you an option here. If you would like to spend a rouse check, you may obtain a premonition when you gaze upon Pierce. There's something about him. Ever since you stepped into the rant, there's just been something about him that stands out to you. You recognised him instantly as someone of importance, and there is something in the back of your mind struggling, bursting to loose itself. Okay, so it's a failure in the rouse check. My hunger goes to three. Your hunger goes to three. Um, do I have to roll for premonition or? Um, so normally, so premonition can be used in one of two ways. Either you can get a premonition at random points, which is basically I'll offer you a premonition. You just have to spend the blood to get it. Or at any time you can use the power to force a premonition. That's when you have to roll for it. Okay, cool. So I'm forcing this, am I? Well, no, you're, you're receiving this one just by looking at him. So this one you don't oh. have to roll for. But if you like, you can roll a Wits Insight to go alongside it. Uh, three successes. Three successes. You stop lingering in the doorway. You peer up, staring into his mean eyes. He sees you and once again smiles, revealing rows upon rows of razor-sharp teeth. 
the first thing that comes to your mind is, well, you think of organised crime, you think of enforcers, troubleshooters, and it's clear that this is the role that this man serves, whether for the Anarchs in general or for Baron Wilde more specifically. This man is good at finding people, primarily because it's his job to make them disappear. Probably using that giant axe he holds in his hands. And sure enough, as your eyes narrow on the axe, you feel your stomach churn. The VIP lounge and all the people within it around you drop away into darkness and for for a moment it feels like you're falling through the ether, being pummeled through space until finally you feel your feet land on a solid surface. You look around, you're no longer in the casino, instead, instead you're standing Standing on wooden planks, wooden planks that are damp, encrusted with salt water. The deck of a boat, a ship, you can see the black inky waves churning against the side of it. And in front of you stands Pierce, his sharp teeth gleaming in the light of the nearly full moon. He unslings the axe from around his shoulder and he says, Now, to take care of loose ends, including the nosy question-asking coppers. And then, with a thump, you feel your body landing once more on the red carpet that leads from the hallway to the elevator, back in the here and now. Barry tries to gather himself, takes one last look at that axe, and the eyes of Pierce. And then elevator closes. Elevator closes. Your stomach lurches once more as the elevator hurtles down into the abyss, into the darkest night. And the hunt is on. You assemble once more in the parking lot. The dark parking lot that sits in the shadow of the Gold Rush Casino, gathered around the black limousine that Wisteria has summoned to carry you to your next destination. And as Wisteria approaches it, pulls open the passenger side door and gestures for everyone to clamber inside, the driver hangs over the front seat, looks Wisteria in the eye and then the rest of you, and he says, Alright, we're two. I believe it's time for me to return to my scene of the crime. Shan't take long. 
Everyone in agreement? What do we all think? Should we... I think you're in my car. It says Wisteria. And she tells the man, please drive. The little ornate... The little ornate clock that sits on the dashboard ticks over. Past one in the morning. If you were to travel from the Gold Rush Casino up to Wisteria's shop in Lakeside... You'll probably have to call it... You'll probably have to call it... It for the night. Make tomorrow night... Your final push. Is everyone wrong with that? Wisteria explains my line of reasoning beyond the fact that I'm so very hungry at the minute is that we don't have time to figure out where Kezia is and go after her tonight, so we might as well get some clues and prepare. Yeah. So, regarding Kezia, you do have some clues at the moment that when she called the hotel to jack into Zarya's BBS, she did so from a boat dealership by the name of Poseidon. At least that's what the phone book matched with that number. And then there was... The number plate. The number plate that Barry traced, which, according to his contact, was seen in the vicinity of Buckley Harbour. But there are probably still more clues to uncover. And so Wisteria smugly gives orders to the driver, and he carries you away through the glittering CBD that even now, even at past one in the morning, even when the streets are almost entirely empty, when the only businesses that are open are the few nightclubs that Buckley has and the very occasional late-night cafe, even with the streets deserted, in the dead of night, the CBD gleams with bright light, neon towers of pearlescent brilliance. As you pass through it and come to the northern edge, the car screams past the botanical gardens, and you all feel something deep inside your gut lurch as you peer beyond the wrought iron gates and see in the shadowy tree line the place where this all began. Lakeside is one of Buckley's northernmost suburbs. It's a firmly middle-class suburb, not quite as well-to-do as places like Atherton and Langdon, but Lakeside is the kind of place where someone like Gill or Robert, someone firmly working class, would, would draw attention, would be accosted at a street corner, would be asked what they're doing here, would be demanded to leave unless they can 
summon someone or call someone to vouch for them here. Most of Lakeside is residential. The car slowly, leisurely drives down one street of identical two-floor McMansions, each one complete with an SUV in the driveway, and then another street, and then another, until finally, in the very centre of Lakeside, you come to the little shopping precinct, an area of no more than three or four city blocks, made up almost entirely of trendy cafes, furniture stores, and big box retailers, and it's here, at the very end of one of these blocks, where you find Wisteria's shop. Wisteria, do you order the driver to carry you right up to the front of the shop? Or do you get oh, off we'll about stop. a block away? We'll stop by at the nearest uh, Queequegs. <laughs> There's an old shop, you know. There's one of one of the trendy cafes at the start of the block, Queequogs. You hold up your hand, signalling the driver to stop, and he slides up into a little parking spot next to the sidewalk. He nods, tells you he'll leave the engine idling, and then you clamber out, your boots touching down on the concrete. And as you make your way down the street towards Wisteria's shop, what is everyone doing? Just ask Wisteria. Um, anyway, I can help. Sorry, what? I'm very distracted right now. Um, help. Yes, basically, we need to get inside and see if he's lifted the security footage, and if not, see what he's taken. He commented it in the collection, so I expect he's... I'm counting on him to have taken something. If he has, I'll find a clue. Alright. I will go in by the front, you go in by the back. Sound good? Can you get through the lock? Of course, wait, hang on, here's the key. What am I saying? Key to the back door, yes. Are you alright? Never been better, she says, offering a smile that's all fangs. And then, and then immediately she slowly raises her hand to her fanged mouth as you round the corner and emerge upon Wisteria's shop, where the front door has been torn open and the inside is a wreck. Crystal shards are smashed on the shop floor and on the footpath outside. A case of expensive imported scented candles has been toppled over and the curtain partitioning the counter from the back of the store where the choicest antiques are kept has been ripped, slashed, open. Shittiest of all, from where you stand, right in front of the door, a young man wearing baggy jeans, a jumper, and a green woolen beanie is openly stealing from the cash register. His back turns to the front door. So, you dear, be a dear and hold the hold the door shut, would you? 
Yes, she does. Yep. And Wisteria creeps up behind him and sinks her fangs in. <laughs> and as Wisteria does so, what do Robert and Barry do? Barry's examining the uh, the break-in, trying to find signs whether it was uh, coming from in the house or out the house. And Robert, are you perhaps heading around the back with the key, the spare key from Wisteria in your hand, just in case? Uh, yeah, he'll head around the back and probably once in try and look for the, because she said she has cameras, so it's like looking for that to see if you can find anything on them. can find it. So there's no car parked outside the store, anything like that. There's no indication that there's any more than one person inside. And But you know that you know that so far being careful, not taking chances has what's helped you. Being impulsive, acting without thinking has led to trouble. So you move silently as a unit. Zarya steps forwards and as she and Robert, as she and Barry and Wisteria slowly step over the threshold, she pulls the door shut and holds it in place. Barry immediately gets to work examining the door itself, the wreckage around it, while Wisteria creeps forward slowly, quietly. Wisteria, are you employing your obfuscate? No, because if I fail the rouse check, things gonna get messy. Mm, so go ahead, just make me a normal deck stealth check, please. And an image flashes through her mind as she goes, though she doesn't know it. A snake creeping into a bird's nest, getting closer to a bunch of eggs. Let's see, stealth and dexterity, yes, yes. Stealth and dexterity. Let's see how this goes. Messy Critical 7. Oh dear. Mm. Would you oh, like well. to spend a willpower to try and suppress that Messy Critical? You know, stiff upper lip demands that I do. Don't want to kill your only possible... And uh, she does, though, takes every inch of her British heritage. <sighs> the mm. part that isn't about, like, oppressing the Irish anyway. That'll be five successes. You stop about a foot behind the man feeling your legs bend and feeling the beast take control of your body, tensing your muscles, preparing to pounce on this man like a wild animal. Take him, pull him behind the counter and end him. But stiff upper lip prevails. You grit your teeth and force the beast out of your mind, force it grumbling back into its cage and lock the door as you creep forwards and reach out, grabbing the man. He opens his mouth to gasp, to scream. He gets, he gets as far as shouting, fuck, before your hand slides over his mouth, before your fangs pierce his flesh. Stand back and think of England. A little story in this case. Sweetest, warmest blood rolls down your throat. The beast purrs, relishing every drop. 
And as you drink, your vision is obscured in a red haze. The slashed red curtains behind the counter grow deeper red, the colour of blood, the carpet seems to grow richer, the edges of the furniture and the broken glass longer, sharper, as ecstasy fills every fibre of your being. Go ahead and roll me a resolve plus composure plus a third of your humanity check if you would like to restrain yourself. He would. Well, she wouldn't like it, but she's going to do it anyway. Story of her life, really. That's two successes, and hey, all the failures are on hunger, so hopefully it's enough. What hunger are you currently at? Four. You feel the man's heartbeat growing weaker and weaker. The ecstasy in every fibre of your being growing stronger and stronger until finally, finally the man begins to rattle rather than breathe, winces with pain and you realise you're just about to kill him. It takes every ounce of willpower you have to wrench your fangs out of his neck. He looks at you pale-skinned a single drop of blood rolling out of the fang hole and then finally his eyes roll back in their sockets and he passes out from blood loss pale still at your feet you may reset your hunger to one but it doesn't look like this man will be in any shape to answer questions at the minute we can take him with us yes yes over at the door, Barry, I'd like you to go ahead and make for me a wits plus investigation roll, and you may add an extra dot for your heightened senses. Um, four successes. Four successes. Vaguely aware of the sounds of struggling behind you, you kneel down. You examine the door as Zarya holds it, and, and Zarya, I'd like you to go ahead and make a strength athletics roll for me, please, while you're at it. Okay. Two successes. Two successes. You notice, Barry, first of all, as Zarya goes to shut the door, that it doesn't quite fit into the door frame. She rams it with her shoulder and with a loud bang, finally slides it into place. But the hinges on the door are broken, warped. There's scuffing around the top and right edges of the door. And the lock itself, as Zarya desperately holds the door in place, holds it as it yearns to break free and topple straight over to snap off its hinges. You notice that the lock is relatively undisturbed. Rather, it looks as if somebody has used great force to just, yes, smash the door right off its hinges. It was only hanging 
by a thread when you entered the store. Now that Zarya's has propped it up, it seems like her only option is to either hold it in place perpetually or slowly lower it down to the floor as the last of the hinges buckles and gives way. Based on that, Barry, how many dots in intelligence do you have? I believe I have three. Yeah. Yeah, based on that, as you whirl around just in time to see Wisteria lowering, lowering her victim to the floor, peering down at him with contempt, it seems quite obvious to you that this man could not be the one who broke down the door. Rather, your police mind tells you this is probably an opportunistic thief. He probably came by, saw the place already broken into, and decided to see if there was anything left over, a vulture picking clean at a carcass and nothing more. And anything from the shattered glass? The glass and the crystal are shattered in a way that tells you that whoever came in probably wasn't looking to steal anything. The trail of destruction from the door to the counter, the slashed curtains. You, if you had to make a bet on it, you would say that somebody broke into here and just started destroying everything without any rhyme or reason. There doesn't seem to be any method in the madness. There's broken glass, antiques, other things lying scattered and broken all over the place. And furthermore, Wisteria, as Barry vocalises these findings, you bite your lip in puzzlement. Because the last thing you remember is that man in the white suit, greasy hair, putting on the charm complimenting the things you had on the shelves. Nothing was destroyed then, and now, now the shop looks like it's the, oh, no. been the epicenter of a cyclone. This makes perfect sense. He wanted to cover what he took. But now here's the question. She feels in her pocket, did that man lift the safe key off her when he came in, when he get, when he got her? Roll me a d10, please, and tell me if it's a success or a failure. 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 You feel disappointment as you pat down your pockets and find the key missing. No, she doesn't feel disappointment. She feels happy. She goes and checks the safe. Mm. Before she gets to the safe, let's go back to Robert who, with Gil creeping behind him, makes his way down the narrow alleyway that winds between the antique store and a tax accountancy building. As you approach the back, as you see the narrow alleyway turn and wind around a corner to the right, how many dots in wits do you have, Robert? Okay, Awareness 3. Awareness 3. There's puddles, thin layer of mud in the cracks and dips 
on the cobblestone of the alleyway and leading around the corner to where you presume the back of Wisteria's store is, is a trail of muddy footprints. Aaron? You see that? Hello. Says Gil, pointing at them. Yeah, some bugger's yeah. been down that way and he hasn't come back. So, so you said heading into the store? Heading around the corner towards the back oh, right. of the store. Presumably into the store. Alright. So yeah, as... sort of... Yep, go uh, ahead. Just... Yeah, just you know, like... Sort of, sh like, give a shh to Gil and then, like, sneak around the corner and see if anyone's around there. Yep. Keeping... Keeping out of obfuscate? Not willing to spend any blood? Uh... I suppose we can, yeah, so... Unseen passage, I guess. Unseen passage. Very well. Go ahead and rouse the blood for me. That's another success. I don't get hungry. So there's no need to roll a check here. Instead, you hold out your hand to Gil, signaling for him to stop, and then before his eyes, you vanish, disappearing into the darkness. You creep forwards, following the muddy footprints down the narrow alleyway. Occasionally hearing your own feet splish, splosh through the puddles of mud. You round the corner and see two things. One of them very curious. The first is the back door to Wisteria's store. And even though Wisteria gave you the key so you could get in, the door is wide open, still subtly swinging in the wing, in the wind, creaking. And beyond it, there's a green dumpster flecked with rust. And what appears to be bloodstains around the lid. Oh. And the lid, the lid looks like it's closed at the moment. Yep, it's been closed. You're still hidden. You could break obfuscate to try to open it, or you could head inside. I think for now we'll have a quick look inside first. Yeah. So you creep up to the dumpster. Place your clawed hands on it and push. <clears throat> but it won't budge. You hear footsteps behind you. Look over your shoulder and see Gil walking up, pounding his fist into his palm. He looks over at the dumpster and he says, oh, I could get that open. Might be a bit noisy, though. I don't think we want to be noisy just yet. I'll, uh, I'll try some old-fashioned elbow grease then, he says, <laughs> smiling. He leans over and you see his face grew up in exertion as he tries his hardest to open it without making a noise. 
you hear a creak as the lid budges about half an inch, but he's going to be at this for a while. You sure you don't want me to just, uh, reckon ball through it, he says? Nah, 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 could be someone inside. He beck- he mm. gestures towards the still open door. Yeah, like, well, even for now, I'll grab a check out the store first. Creep towards the door, pushing it slightly open to admit you into the darkness beyond. And at first, you wonder how you're possibly going to see the store, the stock room of Wisteria's store is completely cast in inky blackness. There is absolutely no ambient light. You can vaguely make out the shapes of boxes and shelves and pieces of furniture, but that's all you can see, at least at least until the beam of a flashlight glides across the wall, somewhere at the back, somewhere beyond a nest of tall shelves, groaning under the weight of crystal balls, glasses, bottles, and crockery. I guess I'm just gonna try and like position around to see if you can't like use that to get a better look at them. Is it Assuming at the moment that, like, one of the others hasn't made it this far into the store yet. Yeah, go ahead, make me a composure plus stealth roll, and you may add your obfuscate as extra dice. Hmm. That's definitely Composure stealth. Um, was it one dot of obfuscate, or just... Add all my obfuscate dots. You can add all your obfuscate, because you're invisible. Yeah, that's four successes. Four successes. You creep through the narrow shelves, taking great care not to step on anything that's fallen, not to accidentally kick a box, or a loose piece of crockery. You round the corner and find yourself standing directly behind a fairly skinny hunchbacked man. He looks to be in his mid to late 50s. His mouth is mostly toothless and he's wearing tattered looking grey shorts and a Richmond Tigers jersey. He stops as he raises his flashlight, sweeps it across the room, and then you see his eyes glimmer as the beam of flashlight lands on an antique jewellery box. Ooh, that's a nice one. What a beaut! He whispers under his breath. Oh, the bloke on the phone was right. What do you do, Robert? Continues mumbling as he makes his way down the aisle. Yeah. Yeah, no. 
Whoever came through here did a number on the place, but they left plenty of good stuff. Oh, man. I'll be on easy straight for the next two years once we get this stuff offloaded. At this point, he stops. He turns his attention towards the doorway that leads out into the store proper and he calls, Hey, Wayne, come check this out. Got some sort of jewellery box or something like that? Hey, but Wayne, he calls again. There's no response from the front. And Wisteria and Barry and Zarya in the front. You hear a voice calling from somewhere beyond the slashed curtain. Wayne! Oi, Wayne, come check this out! We've hit the bloody jackpot! Oh. She's going to put her hands in... Mysteria's going to put her hands in her pockets and uh, stroll that way. <laughs> you stroll towards the tattered curtains brushing them aside and finding yourself face to face with the man. His toothless mouth opens agape as he sees you rather than the other guy who he was clearly expecting step through. Oh! Uh... Oh, Please do tell me about this jackpot. Shit! He vocalises, his eyes immediately widening in panic. His left hand, the one not holding the flashlight, shoots down his side, and... And Vesteria puts her switchblade under his chin. Nope. Robert, do you do anything as, as Wisteria moves? Hopefully, she's not great at this. <laughs> From the back, Robert, you can see... As he slides his hand down his side towards his belt, he's reaching for a snub-nosed revolver that's wedged there. It's covered by his Richmond Tiger's jumper. Wisteria wouldn't be able to see it on her side. Oh, okay, well... Yeah, if you can, if you can see the gun from where he is, he'll just basically try and, like... <laughs> sneakily, like, yeah, reach in, just take it before he does. <laughs> Go ahead, make me a strength brawl check, add an extra dice for advantage, because of course he does not see you. Yeah, I Meanwhile, Wisteria, I'd like you to go ahead and roll me a dexterity melee roll for me. Alright. Let's see, that's five dice, I believe. It should be fine. I say that. We'll see how this goes. Well, have you better than me? <laughs> How'd you do? Uh, ah! success. I'm going to willpower out of yet another missing critical. <laughs> Very nice. So only one success for Robert? Yeah. Yep, so, so Robert... that's three, that's three yep. successes for Wisteria. Three mm. successes. I will roll for the man. Okay, so here's what happens. You see Wisteria make a move, Robert. You rush forwards, determined to wrench the gun out of the man's hand. But 
moving so fast, you're not paying attention to your surrounds. Your right foot kicks a crystal goblet lying on the floor and it loudly tinkles. The man shouts, ah! He whirls around just in time to see you emerge from obfuscation. And as your face comes into view, your terrifying gargoyle-esque face, the man's mouth drops open and he begins to scream as he raises the gun and fires it in a panic. Bang! 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 And you take three points of superficial damage as a bullet and then a second bullet and then a third bullet slam into your chest searing pain shooting throughout your body and you realize instantaneously that were you not a vampire were you not a monster you would now be dead the man the man's gun shakes and he continues screaming just as wisteria rushes forwards and deftly drives the blade of her knife into his ribcage just under his arm. The man's screams turn into gasps of pain and Wisteria wraps her arms around him, wrenching the gun out of his hand and kicking it away. It clatters over the floor as you hold him, struggling, bleeding in your arms. You! Who's, who, sent, who sent you here? Tell us... Uh... And you, you, you'll live, or you bleed out here. You notice. Who sent you, man? Who sent you? You notice as you hold him, as you ask the questions, that he doesn't even seem to be aware of the fact that you're there, Wisteria. Instead, his terrified face, his dinner plate wide <laughs> eyes, are fixated upon Robert's gargoyle. Face, this monster looming in the darkness in front of him. He squirms and mutters, Oh no, please God, please. What do you do? Robert's reeling in pain because that still hurt. Clutching like, your hand to your chest, stemming the blood. Oh. Just like, basically trying to like, move so he's not directly in line of sight anymore. <laughs> uh, I, I shot you! I shot you! Says the man, stammering. I shot, I, I shot you! I, 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 I shot you and, and you! You shot my ventriloquists, dummy, you idiot! <laughs> it As... comes out on a chain and you just blew it away, now talk. Syria and Robert, I'd like both of you to go ahead and make Charisma Intimidate checks for me. How about Manipulation Intimidate? Yeah, you can do that if you like. Alright. Totally lying here. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <I'm> boost. <laughs> go ahead and boost it. You know what I'm gonna boost to? Hey, success. I'm fresh off of Steve's blood. His name is now Steve, by the way. <laughs> Two successes. Two successes? And how many for Robert? Yeah, like uh, so, success on the boost, so I still don't get hungrier. So, Wisteria leans forwards and she whispers through gritted teeth, you 
shut my ventriloquist dummy. Do you have any idea how much that costs to repair? And at the same time, Robert winces in pain. He bears his fangs and hisses like a wounded animal. Before he slinks back into the darkness. And Wisteria, you feel the man go limp in your arms. He stops shouting. He stops screaming. Instead, his head lolls forwards and he just begins to mumble incoherently. No, 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 no. Who sent you? Who sent you? Who sent you? Bloke on the phone! Me and... Me and me grandson Wayne said, said said that if we came to do some, if we came here, we'd find we'd find some things worth taking. And we was we were supposed to take anything we thought we could use, and 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 and, and take the girl with us. And girl, what girl? Out, out in the. Before he finishes, you hear the sound of warping metal. From outside the back entrance, then you hear Gil call out, Alright, got it open! Oh! Oh, uh, you're gonna wanna have a look at this! <sighs> she rolls her eyes up, looks at Zarya, tell me you know first aid. Looks to Barry, tell me when he does. Barry probably knows first aid. I'd say that's something yeah. that, like, a cop goes through, is, like, taught very early on. Oh, right. You mentioned right. the girl. Barry's just gonna have a look in the... That? Look what goes pointing. Barry, Barry will take care of that. Please stop him from dying. First. Who's Barry going to take care of? Sorry, was there... Was there... Um... Yeah, he's going to take care of the of the person in front. The guy in the front first? Yeah. You Thank kneel you. down over him, and this man is devoid of any signs of consciousness at this point. His breath is shallow, laboured, his face pale. Go ahead and make me a intelligence plus medicine check. Or resolve plus medicine check. Two successes. Wayne has been nearly completely drained of blood. You can stabilise him at the moment by giving him a bit of oxygen, propping him up into a seating position, clearing his airways, but Wisteria's done such a number on him that if he doesn't get to hospital within the next hour, he probably won't make it through tonight. Just talking about the fellow I shanked, but alright then. Ah, the man you shanked? Yeah, you're still holding him. And, and it's with that role, Barry, you look over at the other man, the one still in Wisteria's arms, and even though you can see the hilt of her blade jutting out from between his ribcage, it looks like he's nowhere near as hurt as his younger friend. Uh, if Wisteria pulls the knife out, you should be able to bandage and stop the bleeding. It doesn't look like there'll be any lasting damage, at least no physical lasting damage. It's clear by the look on the guy's face, he's scared out of his wits. He's gonna, this one needs the hospital, if he's gonna survive any longer. 
Shit. Alright, well, we're about done here anyway. She looks to... To, uh... She looks to Steve. Where were you going to take the girl? We... We, we were to take her to... No, it was an old, an old, an old, an old yacht dealership and... All right. She draws the knife out. Then there was the delicious smell. Somewhere down in the harbour. I, I could give you the address. Listen. I swear I... Listen to me. Do. But know this. The shop, it's mobbed up. They set you up to be a patsy. It dawns on him, and once again you feel him let out a long, deep breath in your arms. He winces in pain, and then he says, You mean... You mean... That someone was going to pick us up here, and we was going to get the blame for the whole thing? Mm Mm-hmm. But instead what happened was you found the door open, you came in with your friend to look around, and he slipped and fell on a lot of glass. You cleaned up as best you could... You got some glass in you yourself. And she pulls a switchblade out. You're going to get him to hospital as soon as you can. Phone's on that wall. As you release him, he just falls to his feet. Takes him a few moments to compose himself. He lets out another sob. Peers between your feet at his grandson lying pale on the floor and then he nods and scrambles to the landline attached to the wall rips it rips the receiver from the cradle and begins to dial triple zero wisteria takes a look to the left is the safe open indeed the safe She's is exactly smart. where you left it but it's open yes it's wide open she smiles completely empty perfect she looks to Barry. Let's get that girl and get out of here, shall we? Uh, hang on, says Gil, raising a hand. He looks confused over at the safe. He says, they stole all your shit and you're happy? Well, everything that was legal was insured. Come on, I'll tell you why I'm happy on the way. Follow Gil out the back door and Barry and Zaria follow along. Outside, Robert hangs leaning robert stands leaning over the dumpster still clutching his hand to his chest blood still pouring out painting his security guard's uniform he winces as he shifts aside for you to peer into the dumpster wisteria and as you do i'd like you to describe please for me glenda wagoner your touchstone Glenda is a, at this stage of her life, is a uh, short, blonde-haired woman with gla- with glasses, entirely too much makeup, and clothes similar to what Wisteria wears when she's not white-suited up. She's your number one employee. Your conviction yep. is... Everybody else is expendable, but not... Ah, that has changed, actually. No. It is. It is cleverness should be rewarded. Mm. And Glenda, though cowardly, has shown great skills at not only preserving herself, but advancing in the world. And Wisteria's face twists with concern as she reaches down and helps her out. 
Right now, Glenda is lying at the bottom of the dumpster. Her eyes open, wide open with fear, and as she sees your face, you see calm slide into the lines on her face. Her hair is disheveled, lying loose and wild around her face, and... Her arms and legs are both bound, tied tight in thick cable ties. Her blouse at the front is pockmarked with dirt and blood, and on her bare arms and below her knees on her legs are several scuff marks, several cuts, several bruises. It's obvious to you she's been beaten. Oh, Glenda... The alarm tripped, so of course you came down to see what was going on. Come on. Oh, before you get upset, one of our me- one of the people I'm working with is quite wanted, so he's wearing a mask. Don't think anything of it. Come on, let's get you to the car. You hoist her up, sling her over your shoulder, not taking the time to undo the bindings. And even in this state, you feel her entire body body shudder as she lets out a sigh of relief. She says something muffled under the cloth that's been wedged into her mouth. Something that you can tell or something you can tell is singing your praises, graciously thanking you. I am more flattered than you know, dear, but right now I don't speak hostage, so let's wait till we're clear. And then you lead the others out of the alleyway, back down the road, back to the limousine where it sits, engine idling, and as the driver sees you approach, sees you carrying Glenda slung over your shoulder, sees her hands and legs tied in cable ties, sees her drenched in blood, his own face goes white. He hunches over the wheel, you hear the engine rev, tyres squeal as he parks up in front of you. The back door pops open of its own accord and he shouts, Get in! Get her in! Thank you, Percival. Did I mention you're getting overtime tonight? You're getting overtime tonight. I think I bloody well deserve it, he says. He waits just long enough for everyone else to clamber into the back seat and then he nods. He looks at you, Wisteria as if to confirm what he says next. Safe house. Safe house. Wisteria nods. Gil, you wanted to know why I was so happy they'd robbed the safe. Gil nods, his face still wound up in puzzlement. The safe key was missing, which means that the man who did what he did to me took it. He commented on my collection which meant that he was going to snipe something. The only things of worth, real worth, in the store were in the safe. Two things of worth, one thing that wasn't. The one thing that wasn't is a diamond neck ne- necklace that's a carbon copy of a very famous necklace that's gone missing, but with minute flaws that would take a very skilled jeweler to find it. But they eventually would. The second thing is a very distinct painting that's been off of the market for quite a long time and worth a lot of money. In fact, there's only one specific collector who wants it, and I have his butler bribed to tell me if he ever gets a hold of it and where he gets it from. 
The third thing is a chunk of gold worth at least 50,000 British pounds. But it's set up in such a way that would take time to melt down and liquidate. I have three fucking leads that... Well, I have feelers out to turn up if anyone ever tried this on me. Struth, says Gil, whis whistling in awe through his, through his closed lips as he helps you get Glenda off your shoulder, helps secure her in the back seat, and as soon as she realises she's safe, she lets out one last sigh of relief and sinks into a dead faint, her head slumping forwards. The engine of the car roars to life, and within a few minutes once more, the endless parade of identical McMansion screams past somewhere deep, you know, somewhere far behind you, deep in the darkness. An ambulance siren wails. Gil smiles as Wisteria's plan and its implications washes over him. That's our Wisteria, says Percival, stopping for just a second at a red light and looking over his shoulder, a look of obvious pride on his face. Doesn't make a trick. Doesn't miss a trick. Doesn't miss a paycheck either. Yours is going to be fat this year. Right. <sighs> you would oh, just everything, is, everything else is insured. Whatever. Sorry? I was just saying it would have been a very difficult case for me to solve. Did you turn up anything? Door was broken in. Smashed to pieces. Do you think your sire would have been capable of that, or maybe they'd help? Before I knew about her eyes flick left to the mortals, everything I knew tonight, I would have said he wouldn't be, have been capable about it, weedy little fucker. But now it's hard to say. Strikes me as a sort of fellow that has help, though. Probably did that to cover his tracks. Well, you fucking company. You'll catch him yet, says Percival, with Wisteria and one of the city's finest on his trail. He won't be running much longer. The entire car lurches as tires squeal and the limousine drifts around a corner. Right, to the safe house, on the double. And with that, we'll leave it there. You return to the safe house a few hours before sunrise. Enough time to catch your bearings, make sure Glenda's okay, compare notes about the rant and everything you've seen this night, and enough time to turn your attention to what's to happen tomorrow night, to the final push, the confrontation, And then, the day sleep. Your limbs grow heavy, your blood grows languid, and as you once again collapse on the loose mattresses, blankets, and cushions, you see Kezia's face in your mind's eye, 
smiling, laughing, caught freeze frame on Zarya's CCTV footage, thinking she's won. And the last thing that drifts into your mind before the day sleep engulfs you is she's wrong. Next time, the final session of our first story, the final session of our stint in the 1990s, when you finally confront at least one of your makers I'll see you then. Creatures Such As We is a Vampire the Masquerade 5th edition actual play podcast presented by DM Fiat. Creatures Such As We is based on a source book by Brian Holland available at the Storyteller's Vault. Vampire the Masquerade Rules are developed by Onyx Path Publishing and Paradox Interactive and published by Renegade Studios. Portions of the materials are the copyrights and trademarks of Paradox Interactive AB and are used with permission. All rights are reserved. For more information, please visit worldofdarkness.com. The music used in this podcast is composed by Kevin McLeod. Whitebat Audio and Ivan Duke and is used with permission. <laughs>